0: Welcome to the 2020 F1 strategy report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name is Michael Amanato, and this is round 12, the Portuguese Grand Prix. The combination of a new circuit, a slippery new surface and unpredictable weather couldn't trip up Lewis Hamilton, at least not for very long, en route to his 92nd victory and most dominant win of the season ahead of Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen. But the familiar result at the front belied the unpredictability behind, where a lack of practice time meant strategy was formulated on the fly and the onus was on the drivers to make the most of what they had. So to analyse the race that delivered Lewis Hamilton his record breaking 97 victory, I'm joined by Chris Medland from Racer. Chris, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, mate. How are you? Doing very well. It's uh, We're heading towards, I guess, a championship conclusion, which in a sporting sense is nice in the overall season sense, it's going to be a bit early I think for everyone's liking but this was a, a momentous historic weekend for Formula One and of course for Lewis Hamilton
1: yeah I mean I was just doing the maths uh, last night where I thought for a second he could wrap it all up at Imola mm. but I think he can only fall one point shy if it all goes his way there so at least it's going on to Turkey so there'll still be four races <laughs> to go um but yeah that, that side of it's not a thriller but you're right it's it's all about records this year really isn't it um that the way he's just kind of supremely cruised past Michael Schumacher now mm. And almost underwhelmingly yesterday, I think people kind of had made such a big deal about him matching Michael, that they didn't then, couldn't really do it again for him beating Michael. And he's just set a new record that, you know, it could stand for ages. It's the first time anyone's hit 92 wins. Obviously, hit matching Michael meant someone by default had done it already. Uh, yeah, it was a really, really important day yesterday, but uh, not only did he do it and, and set a new record, he did it in style because he was dominant.
0: And that's something that, You know, in a year or in a series of records, I feel like people want to try and attribute to the car the way he won in Portugal. And we'll get through some of the ins and outs of that in a moment, I think really underlines that it can't just be the car when you're able to to beat Valtteri Bottas, who was really quick right up until Q3 this weekend, to beat him by so much really did underline how much of a difference drivers were making in the Portuguese Grand Prix when we didn't have a lot of information due to the lack of practice and the conditions are really tricky Really allowed him to shine.
1: Yeah, big time. I mean, uh, also the first couple of laps showed how difficult it was. We saw huge differences to the way drivers approached that and could handle that, Um, not just because of tyres as well, but you saw discrepancies there, and then... Even Lewis's own outlook when he said about how he should have maybe defended from Valtteri early on, but thought, no, I'll come back and get him later, that confidence he had, that he was the guy that was going to make the difference, that it wasn't a case of we're in the same car, it'd be hard to overtake. He, he knew he had an opportunity there. Um, and then he, he described it all very well afterwards. I'm sure we'll get into it in more detail, but the way that he adapted throughout the race and learned new things and approached everything to be as quick as possible and there were new challenges for drivers at this circuit. So uh, he's very, very good. It's that, is that that's natural instinct, at adapting quickly to the circumstances and the conditions. And uh, yeah, it worked out very, very well for Lewis. It was massively impressive.
0: That learning aspect was a big part, not only of his race, but of course of the whole weekend. This circuit's new to Formula One and had never raced here competitively, or never been here competitively, I suppose. And on top of that, freshly resurfaced quite recently. It was, seemed very oily for all involved, quite slippery, lacked a lot of grip. And on top of that, not for the first time this year there was a lot of practice time lost partly because Pirelli uh, enforced a 2021 tyre test in FP2 then there were two red flags which meant that I think there was only 28 minutes thereabouts less than half an hour of actual FP2 time for drivers to critically learn this track that they obviously never raced at before at least not in Formula 1 which meant there was quite a lot of learning going on throughout the entire weekend but we're going to learn this in I suppose a more formal or purposeful way in Imola where we have only one practice session but how critical is that FP2 session in particular? Because, of course, we did have the other two in full, and yet we still got to the race, and there was still a lot of speculation about how the strategy was going to unfold and how the tyres were going to behave.
1: Yeah, I think it's actually crucial because one of the big things we saw was uh, drivers struggling with graining, especially on the medium tyre. And when they were getting to that phase, for some drivers, that was a case of after a few laps, they're like, oh, this is too bad, I need to get off them. Like, I've, you know, we're losing too much time but for others they they persevered and got through it and then the tyre was good for a lot longer and it meant a huge difference in the strategy you then took but no one knew that because they hadn't been able to run that long to go through that phase in FP2 like they normally would so even with the other practice sessions where they ran a fair bit on those tyres you're not running consistently um, on high fuel for that long to see what the tyre can do which you normally would do in, in the second half of FP2 so uh, yeah it was very costly in that sense but that was why it was so good. That, that's the sort of thing I do really like. You, you do see these differences in driver's skill when they don't have all the information available and, and they have to make the difference, where they have to uh, kind of almost talk to their team about what they're feeling because the team can't say, oh, well, on Friday we saw this. The team is kind of almost fully reliant on the driver's feedback.
0: And that was really emphasised in, in a situation where there's not even historical data for the circuit, of course, being a new track. I think what's really interesting as well, and we've seen this for a couple of races now, and I think we will for a couple yet, if you look at the the forecast, and look, generally, it is also getting late in the year, is that Formula 1's not kind of used to regularly racing in conditions that are kind of a bit cold, kind of a bit consistently overcast. Okay, we do get some rain from time to time, of course, that's standard. But, you know, of course, we had quite an extreme version of this a couple of weeks ago at the Nürburgring. But even the next couple of races, Imola and Turkey, look set to be kind of mild at best, I mean, this is a summer championship. That adds a real extra dimension in terms of getting the tyres working, making sure the car is set up correctly, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. And and I'm one that sort of criticised F1 for this approach because I feel like we should be racing in kind of more extreme conditions sometimes in terms of why aren't we going to places when it's potentially cold? Admittedly, soaking wet, not always great, but (laughs) I I think that sort of challenge should be part of it. But um, Pirelli then come in for a kicking and it's not their fault because they're given a sport that sets its calendar where it's always hot and sunny. So they develop a tyre for almost always those conditions. And then when you get a year like this where that's thrown out the window and it's something completely new. Uh, yeah, it's difficult because, yeah, that rubber has not been designed uh, to try and work in those temperatures and those windows. And it was quite quite a contrast, actually, because we had the Nürburgring 24 hours going on. Uh, sorry, uh, Spa 24 hours going on this weekend uh, over here in Europe that was in torrential rain again and very cold and and looked yeah very much late October at Spa-Francorchamps as you can imagine it's not (laughs) great Um, but there's no complaints and drivers are kind of getting used to that and they've got the right tyres for it Uh, and then I watched the MotoGP as well and a lot of the talk there pre-race was about Mm. tyre compounds and picking the right tyres because it was a bit colder than the week before Uh, so this is a problem throughout motorsport but um yeah i feel like actually it's a challenge that is good um that is something new that a driver has to utilize its skill set uh, and it would be it would be nice if pretty could make something that was a little bit more um rounded in terms of then it can work in the coldest conditions and the hottest conditions but then if it if that worked it'd make it easier for everyone so uh, i think in a sense i've probably just talked myself out of my own theory and we've got it about right
0: <laughs> <laughs> well you can pick your own adventure a little bit people can sort of skip the part that they like and can decide on the argument they want to support there they
1: that with my podcasts a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The tyres, even, I mean, we said in in the race, obviously, people were still uncertain, but we really saw it in qualifying in a strange way. Let's talk about the battle for pole here, because it was set not on the soft as is normally the way, the quickest tyre, but the medium tyre for both Mercedes drivers, and it was in the hands of the drivers, as is increasingly a theme for this weekend, as was how many laps they wanted to do on their final run. Normally, it's just one. Lewis Hamilton chose two. That ended up making the difference, because the medium tyre in those conditions really unexpectedly for pretty much everybody ended up being faster than the the faster tyre
1: yeah or at the very least it was the same but then as Lewis showed, if you then went and did two laps, you weren't getting the drop-off. Mm-hmm. So you were you were probably getting more comfortable with the low grip conditions. Your fuel was coming down. The track was gripping up towards the end of the session. Now, if you did two push laps on the soft, it might give up by the end of the second lap. But when you're doing it on the medium, it was holding on much better. Uh, you can understand why Valtteri got it wrong in that sense, because if you just go low fuel and, and, and get it nailed first time out, then normally that's the way to do it. Um, and they've been used to running on softs, like you say. Normally, you wouldn't expect to, to have a push-call-push push and that last lap to definitely be quicker. So it was a decision that needed making at that time. Um, yeah, Lewis Lewis just got it right. But Verstappen was still close on the softs. I think it was still a very close call. And I kept looking at, uh, at Vettel's decisions, actually. Yeah. Uh, Ferrari qualified him in Q2 Solely on the medium, and he did not get out. He didn't get close to getting out. And his Q1 time on softs was good enough to get through to Q3. Now, the track did get slower, but that also showed that even if he maybe felt a little less comfortable on the soft, he was quicker on it. Uh, and in those conditions, if that was the quicker tyre, you want to be qualifying on it and you want to be racing on it. So it, it was car specific. We saw that at the start of the race as well on the opening lap, that different cars did react differently. Um, Mercedes are very good at switching on their tyres. So I think that also helped and why they qualified on the on the medium. But uh, based on that, great effort from Leclerc again on Saturday too to go for the medium route and get through uh, on Q2 because that really set up his race as well.
0: Yeah, Leclerc was very much fast enough on the medium tyre in Q2. Vettel, as you said, wasn't on either run, ultimately <laughs> not on his second run either, why did Ferrari, is there any insight into this as to why Ferrari didn't do what is the, the typical option when you haven't made it through on your first run to give Vettel the soft tyre and then live with whatever consequences might come?
1: It seemed to be a kind of a joint decision where I think Vettel said he was comfortable on the medium or felt comfortable. Uh, Ferrari wanted to qualify on the medium like they did with the clerk, so they were essentially i think they've given up on seb a little bit and they are willing to sacrifice that session in the sense of the best way through qualifying was to qualify in the medium and if you don't do that then you'll start further back rather than you know do everything you can to get that driver as far up the grid as you can and then deal with that problem so with seb it was it was uh, for want of a better term shit or bust i don't know if i can swear <laughs> here but i just have um but it was you know this is the strategy we want you to make work. Can you go and do it? And he felt he could, he felt that he was confident enough on those mediums based on his Q1 time as well, that he'd easily get through if he put it together with his second run in Q2, but the track wasn't getting quicker Um, on those mediums. It was getting actually more tricky realistically for someone like Seb, who's, who's not quite confident with that car. Uh, And I do think still the the better option would have been to the soft. And and he realized that afterwards, but to be fair, you only make the call based on, on what you're feeling at the time. And uh, he he didn't, sound angry, did he? We never heard radio at the time of him saying we should be on the softs. He he seemed to think that mediums were still potentially the way to go as well. And and he was he was better this weekend in a weird way. He got stuck in traffic but he actually looked more competitive this weekend so you can see why maybe he felt he was going to be able to pull it out.
0: I feel like you don't see a lot of anger from, from Vettel a lot this season anymore. I think you kind of touched on it there. He feels like he's a bit of a, a bit of a limbo territory uh, and we only occasionally see that kind of performance. We'll talk about him again in, the, in a couple of moments. Let's talk about the start of the race because the medium tyres on the Mercedes cars and on Charles Leclerc did set them up better in the long run. Oh, That was the idea anyway at a minimum they were going to be more flexible depending on what was going to happen in this race but the soft tyres in these cold and slippery conditions potentially offered a huge advantage two drivers in particular uh, got their warm-up perfectly on the warm-up lap it's right in the name and they did exactly that Carlos Sainz and Kimi Raikkonen it's hard to know who to be more impressed by on this first lap Sainz got the lead or he did after at the start of the second lap but Kimi Raikkonen The onboard of Kimi Raikkonen using those soft tyres is incredible.
1: It's so good to watch. I mean, I don't want to be the guy that's like, but. uh, (laughs) But the the slight caveat for Kimi's is that he was on a brand new set of softs. And as we talked about with qualifying, for these guys that started on softs in the top 10, they tended to have done already two push laps on them. So they had taken the best out of those tyres and they still needed a bit more work getting them switched on at the start. So where Kimi was flying early on, was impressive, but that was the offset between soft and medium where everyone around him was on the medium or even the hard when it was Magnussen. What really impressed me was where he got up to the likes of Ricardo and Albon and he was like flying past those guys as if they're standing still. And and they were on softs, but they were on slightly used ones. So again, it was just taking them a little bit longer to heat them up. Um, But by the end of that lap, you'd have thought you'd have got the soft switched on regardless. And that's why... Kimmy's was so impressive science is just because I think I genuinely think that's all down to driver skill. You look at the difference between him and Norris and Norris still had a very good start. McLaren clearly switched their tires on very well, but science is another level. And one of the strategists did say yesterday, they were like, well, science is just like the God of starting at the moment. (laughs) So he did, heat his tires really well, even though every driver said they did the same, like Verstappen was talking about how hard he worked his tires. Science just had them switched on, but also he attacked that lap so well, kept himself out of trouble. Um, I mean, Max, he took liberties going around the outside of Max and Sergio, I think at turn four, um, just kept his foot planted and went miles off because he knew he'd get away with that. But then Max did the same at turn five, didn't make it easy for Carlos. And you could then see a, a real difference in confidence. And and that's a tough thing to do on the first lap because you're you're basically backing your own skill. And the quicker you go, the quicker you'll generate the heat, the quicker you go again. And I think that was actually borne out by what you mentioned, that the fact that he got past Bottas on lap two was because Sainz had actually gone so quickly that he was he was still gathering patience. Into that second lap uh, and got himself into the lead because he had a couple of laps up there as well. You know, it did take a while for the Mertz to come back at him. So, um, I'm yeah, probably as amazing as Kimmy's lap was, and it was amazing. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna hand it actually to Science for the first two laps.
0: Yeah, I was it was really impressive. Weirdly, or you could really tell the closing speed for Science as well was the first three corners of the second lap because he was still quite far back down that straight. You kind of maybe mentally expecting was going to be a DRS pass or something, but. Had so much more confidence through those corners compared to Bottas. Really impressive Then showed how much of a difference the correct preparation was making. Really strange to see Mercedes kind of in a vulnerable position as well, especially Lewis Hamilton, who seemed like lost quite a bit of momentum at the first part of that lap. Took him about five laps to build up that temperature and then normal service kind of resumed, but with Bottas in the lead, this became a really interesting phase in the race because in ordinary circumstances, two Mercedes in the front, you wouldn't necessarily expect there to be a big enough difference that a position change becomes extremely obvious. But all of a sudden, and typically this came after Lewis Hamilton pl- complained that his tyres were going bad, he found immense pace to such a degree that Bottas had absolutely no answer to him.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost um, predictable, isn't it? If Lewis complained <laughs> his tyres are going off, he's about to set the fastest lap. And then later in the race, he complained he had cramp and he set the fastest lap <laughs> again. But um, yeah, that was that was actually quite surprising because... Bottas did one Bottas had again a lap fewer on his mediums so if anything he had a little bit more rubber to play with and his start he'd switched them on better he'd attacked it better Lewis had backed off what was interesting was Lewis saying that he felt he was always going to come back at Valtteri anyway even even then I mean you know we hadn't seen the long running we'd seen Valtteri be quick all weekend um and Lewis just pip him at the end of Q3. But then even half a lap into the race, Lewis was like, no, I'm, g- I'm going to get him later if I let him go now. Uh, but he had a big moment. I think he was at turn seven, um, or technically turn six, like little, little left-hand kink in the middle of the circuit, where Lewis was in the lead on the first lap, and he had a massive snap of oversteer and thought he was going to throw at the scenery. So off the back of that, he just slowed right up. That's why Bottas went by and Sainz went by, and he just then eased into it. And... It was almost like he's into it and never stopped. He never found a limit of where he should get to. He just kept getting quicker and quicker. And yeah, Valtteri had no response. I don't know if that was because Valtteri did get into a rhythm where he was comfortable, but it meant that his tyres then plateaued whereas Lewis's were getting better or staying in the window. But um, yeah, the difference was huge in the end because... I think it took really about two to three laps for Lewis to close what was a three-second gap. Uh, and as soon as he went into DRS range, you thought, oh, he's going he's gonna to walk by. And, and it was quite easy to overtake with DRS, um, certainly if you had a pace advantage like Lewis did at that stage. And then he just disappeared into the distance in no time. And I think that mentally, again, probably broke Bottas, a bit like qualifying will have, uh, once he saw that he didn't have the pace to match Lewis and he'd given up track position uh, and they were going to go long and that gap was only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, he, he probably realized at that point that the race is up.
0: You mentioned earlier, and this is something that Lewis said after the, the race, that he, he spent a lot of this the, the race distance learning. He talked about experimenting with different lines, looking for what the track had to offer, I suppose, because the, the amount of time he had to practice was so inconsistent. And, of course, there was this perpetual threat of rain. It seemed like it was partly drizzling for most of this race. How much of a difference do you think that made? The fact that it, I mean, I don't necessarily say he was the only one out there trying things because presumably a lot of drivers were, were doing some kind of similar amount of learning. But considering that difference in performance between Hamilton and Bottas, I mean, you suggested perhaps Bottas found that rhythm and that seems like that could be part of the reason. But is a lot of it just that he was more willing than other drivers to look for something extra?
1: I think yes, but in a sense of the way the circumstances played out with Lewis being behind Valtteri and not miles back at any point, always you know a couple of seconds just watching what his teammate was doing. He could see where basically the other mercedes was struggling and what wasn't working for that car and then adapt to it and learn from it and he could also then gauge where he was finding time or losing it by by experimenting with things in that first stint so then when something clicked when he suddenly found things that were making a big difference in terms of pace he could be gone and he he knew then that he was never going to drop back towards Valtteri but he could probably that probably gave him more confidence to keep trying things um i think it is one of the things that does show how good Hamilton is because his racing brain he doesn't always sort of uh, communicate it in the best way or we don't always give him enough credit for it but people do talk about how great he is looking after his tyres one thing he said with this was because it was so slippery and grip was so low uh, that the tyres were on a knife edge in the sense of you had to keep them you had to keep pushing them and pushing them hard because if you could keep them in that temperature window you would get quicker and normally it's all about nursing them and kind of not going too slowly that you lose temperature, but not taking too much out of them. So this was a different approach that was needed. And he'd learned that very quickly. And he says that's the reason there was such a huge difference is because he he, he had to keep pushing then. And we know that on real Pace, Lewis is rapid anyway Uh, so the fact that you had Hamilton who was pushing basically flat out for the whole race because he felt the tyres needed it then led to this huge gap between him and Bottas and and I think for Valtteri I mean you also need that confidence like Lewis was getting confidence from seeing how it was helping him beat Valtteri. Valtteri is obviously not going to get confidence (laughs) from seeing that happen against him and then he doesn't get very long to try and react before Lewis is gone And he's kind of not in the same situation where he can kind of build it up and and learn those things um, just because he was leading and he had more to lose. And at the time you're in the lead, you probably think you're doing everything right. So, um, yeah, it kind of, in a sense, it came to us a little bit like that, but that's because he's so clever.
0: And it's probably worth emphasizing there the idea that track evolution here was kind of random, kind of not as great as you would expect for a new circuit. So it really was upon the driver to find the pace rather than let the track come to them in the way you might ordinarily expect. If there was one opportunity for Bottas to perhaps try and get something back here, it would have been the pit stop. It came at lap 40, Mercedes extended probably further than perhaps they were expecting. Uh, They switched onto the hard tyre, but we heard Valtteri ask if he could try something different as the driver behind, perhaps extend further, and then go onto the soft tyre, just to try a different strategy. I mean, ultimately in the same car there's only so many things you can do. Mercedes didn't really seem to entertain that idea at all it took only one lap to decide that wasn't going to happen and brought him in for the hards is that just mercedes trying to be rigorously fair or is it that you know up to that point we'd seen on very few cars the soft actually go the distance
1: well i think that's it's twofold in that sense i do think um mercedes were right not to put him on the soft because we'll talk about other drivers later where it didn't didn't really work for them uh, even that late in the race when you'd have thought the track was gripped up and, and it might work um but yeah, they were just sticking with their rules that from the start are at the final pit stop. You, it's almost hold station. You, you go with the same strategy or what we think is the optimal strategy. We, we can't let the the guy that's being beaten essentially uh, potentially get an advantage by rolling the dice because, especially in a race that like we've just had, it was just a Mercedes fight. You know, Max was not really there in, in that mix, uh, sadly, for for trying to kind of disrupt things. So it was worth the gamble uh, for bottas it wasn't going to it wasn't going to cost him second place if it didn't work so when you get a situation like that it's kind of unfair to the the guy who's done the better job of the lead that someone else can then actually have another go and just you know buy another lottery ticket and see what happens so can you imagine if lewis had pulled out this great performance and adapted his sort of driving to the strategy that they'd all agreed on and then valtteri just takes a risk and goes for a different strategy just to see what would happen and it suddenly brings the race to him and and he nicks it at the end, Lewis would have been raging. And you know it would have been the same if it was the other way around. Uh, you know, if, if we did reverse these roles and Valtteri had it all made and then Lewis came back because he was able to try something different. Everyone would then say it was favoritism from Mercedes, letting Lewis do that. So they have to basically... Play it straight. As much as it doesn't always then make for an exciting race, that's just the, the team's best approach. And we can't forget they, they secured another one too. So, uh, with the fastest lap to boot, so maximum points, you know, the, the team did everything exactly as it needed to.
0: And we mentioned Verstappen there. We'll just very briefly touch on him. He started on the soft tyre, and Red Bull Racing admitted afterwards it should have given more consideration to using the medium in Q2 so that they could start the race on that. That very much proved to be the optimum strategy. And I feel like the best example of that is Charles Leclerc clerk who finished as a real island of a driver in four. I think it was 30 seconds on either side of him, which is almost upsetting him, depressing to think he probably spent the whole race seeing nobody else, <laughs> except when occasionally he'd be laughing someone, I suppose. But this was actually really quite good execution for Ferrari if we uh, talked about whether or not there are any questions over that qualifying situation. Here, this was a very straightforward one-stop, medium to hard, managed to get quite a bit out of both compounds uh, and deliver probably... Not the highest result for Ferrari this season, but probably the, the best result, I'm willing to say. It really showed quite a lot of pace in that car.
1: Yeah, that was clearly the third quickest package yesterday, was having Leclerc managing to pull out what was an excellent qualifying performance again, which is what we've seen from him um, a, a numerous times now, he, he did it in Germany just a couple of weeks ago, uh, put it in the same spot. But on that occasion, it was, or oh, can he can he convert forth into a strong result and give Ferrari hope? And no, he couldn't. Basically, there was a, a really tough stint, uh, admittedly, on the soft compound, so they avoided that this weekend. Um, but they were they were just more prepared, but also just looked more competitive everywhere. Um, looked like, didn't look like a sitting duck on the pit straight. Um, he was clearly able to switch the tyres on quickly enough because he stayed in that mix at the front in, on the opening couple of laps. I think it was a really, really good performance from Leclerc and it, it definitely did look almost like we'd had at times last year where Ferrari weren't able to match Red Bull and Mercedes, but they were in no man's land, as you say, and there was no one behind them. It was the same in Portimao they were, for Leclerc, uh, admittedly, on his own, um, but he was there was no one that was going to touch him for fourth place and it was very impressive and I think it's something maybe we shouldn't be too surprised about it from Ferrari, a team of that size, that resource, uh, yes, had an awful start to the season, said that they developed the wrong car based on the power output they were then going to end up with but, they were then. They are able to react uh, a lot better than most in terms of what they have available to them. So uh, I think McLaren, Andreas Seidel was always saying, "Oh, Ferrari will come back strong even this year, let alone next year." Uh, and we're starting to see that now. But as you've mentioned, this was a very specific track, very specific um, kind of conditions, grip levels that maybe don't tell the whole story in terms of what it would be like on a more regular uh, kind of track surface. So they're still. Question marks there for Ferrari, but uh, yeah, very impressive from the
0: club. The battle behind him, quite a bit behind him, took place between three. Also really standout drivers, I think. We got quite a few, perhaps because of the conditions, really good individual performances. This was between Gasly, Sainz and Perez, who finished in that order. Let's start with Perez, though, because for the second the half of the race, really, he was the incumbent fifth-place driver. Uh, it was right only up until the last couple of laps that he really came under serious threat. Impressive because at the end of lap two, he was 20 seconds behind the back of the pack, having tangled with Max Verstappen on the first lap. And then did what Perez, I suppose, is renowned for, so maybe we shouldn't be so surprised, but did such a good job of managing those medium tyres. A really long stint, 44 laps. Still had good pace in them towards the end of that stint as well. And by the time he made that first pit stop, was so high up the order, lost virtually no places. And, I mean, we were talking before this. It's the kind of strategy you expect a strategy car to be required to make but it was all him and he made it himself.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things, because it's worth pointing out, Perez actually started on the softs and then hit in that first lap after tangling with Max. So, he, yeah, his, his stint started on new mediums at the end of lap one. And, yeah, as you say, you kind of, I think even the TV commentators were saying it, they're like, Perez is just hoping for a safety car now because it put him right back in the mix, you know, a bunch to pack up. Uh, and as you say, when he came in on, on lap 45, he was um, comfortable enough that he could make that pit stop and come out, still in fifth place and I remember seeing that I remember seeing him on the timing screens and not really paying attention to his <laughs> gap because you assumed he was rising based on the fact that he was going to stop and drop back again um, but I think um, Otmar Zafnauer had said he thought top six was on maybe fifth place So you were kind of thinking, okay, we'll keep an eye on this. This could be an exciting finish. And then when he was able to pit and come out still in fifth, it was stunning. But at that point, and almost surprisingly, I think Racing Point got it wrong because they went on the softs for the final stint thinking, oh, it's a short run. You know, they pushed the middle stint long enough that he could go back onto softs. Um, There were used softs as well. And they they only had a, a fairly short run. But for everyone else, we'd seen hard was the way to go. If you, if you weren't able to go to mediums, it was better to be on the hard tyre. Uh, and Mercedes had only done it three or four laps before. They'd come in for their one and only stop, and they'd opted for the hards as well. And I think that actually probably should have been a, a kind of a, a warning to Racing Point that they should go for the hard tyre, because realistically, all that you were were. Risking was that the tire wouldn't work the soft or it would go off later on and that you'd come under threat. Now, if you went for the hard, you might have given yourself a difficult couple of laps of warm up, you might have lost a bit of trap position then. But the pace he'd shown on the medium, you'd have expected him to come back at Gasly or Science. He Perez looked like, you know, I mean, I said Leclerc was comfortably the the third quickest package, and I I still probably maintain that. But it would have been interesting based on Perez's pace to see how close to Leclerc he'd have got if he'd have beaten him. Uh, But that meant his best absolute best result was going to be fourth yesterday and there was a point where he should have finished fifth really if they'd have got the the final tyre call right but um it made some great racing in the final laps as well which means we're thankful that they they made slightly the wrong call there
0: Right on the line, some of that racing. Although it was, I can't remember exactly the summary, it was slightly below the limit, but too close to the limit, I think was essentially the reason for penalising him for defending quite aggressively against Gasly. Uh, Gasly ran a very similar strategy to Science. Now, we talked about Science earlier. He started on that soft tie, did a really good job of keeping it up to temperature. But it was him, it was Science and Gasly who really managed to, to stretch those softs quite a distance. And that was the foundation of having a really strong second part of this race. Whereas Science, I, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to argue it in this way or whether it's perhaps more down to the cars, but Gasly, I guess, was a slower burn on those soft tyres, wasn't he? Because he had pace pretty much right up to the end of that stint, uh, past Science on track. That was essentially where the, that position uh, came from, being able to be the head of that midfield. And then was just really consistently strong. While some drivers, Daniel Kvyat, for example, didn't seem to manage on any of the tyres, his teammate. He was strong inversely on all of them.
1: Yeah, it was it was very impressive, actually. Like you say, the way that Sainz started the race was uh, eye-catching and everyone's really excited. And then he did fade as that stint went on. And there was a, a big point, probably about eight or ten laps into the race, where both McLarens looked to be really struggling for pace compared to the cars around them. And at that point, Gasly was just getting stronger yeah. and stronger. Um, and a bit like we talk about Hamilton, actually, and, and the way that his stints just seemed to get increasingly better and better the longer they went on. He was a bit like that on the soft. uh, And it was really, really impressive to see because he did, he had to make overtakes as well. He had to get through traffic that was competitive. You know, these were guys that we see Alpha Tauri, like tend to be just outside that midfield battle of Renault and McLaren and Racing Point. Um, And their target's been to try and get ahead of Ferrari and the constructors. But yesterday they, they looked in Gasly's hands to be quicker than those three teams, but, or, maybe not Perez, given the pace he showed, but the McLarens and the Renaults. Fiat, on the other hand, not even close. So uh, I think that's another one where you've got to hand it to the driver making a difference. Okay, Gasly and Fiat won very different strategies, but Fiat did have new tyres at the start, and Gasly had used softs and, and still didn't really switch them on like the McLarens did, didn't do anything crazy in the first couple of laps. But maybe that helped. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he was so good as the stint went on, because he didn't take too much out of them at the very, very start when it was tricky. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a really impressive stint from Gasly. And and also the way, as you mentioned, with that overtake on Perez, the way he made it work, he was sensible. You know, he, he knew it was going to be an eye catching result one way or another, but maybe one of the things that leveled at him when he was at Red Bull was he didn't make moves. He wasn't clinical enough making overtakes when he needed to get through traffic in a Red Bull. In an Alfa it's a, definitely a different story and he makes someone when he needs to.
0: One final teammate comparison worth looking at here is Renault. They had a bit of a quiet weekend compared to what they've become used to in recent rounds, I suppose, towards the bottom of the top 10 results here. Perhaps a, a function of the fact they didn't have the time to really uh, hone the car to these low grip conditions, but I suppose it's the same for everybody. Ricardo had to start on the soft. He qualified in the top 10. Ocon just behind him on the mediums. This was a huge stint on the medium tyre, 53 laps, but arguably you would have to say fell into that same trap that Sergio Perez did switching to the soft tyre and just couldn't find any performance on that tyre. We expected him to sort of move forward from there, perhaps challenge into that sort of the fifth area, the, the top of that midfield there. Didn't manage it. Uh, surprising, considering that Ricardo stopped quite early off the softs at the start of the race, precisely for that reason, that he couldn't find any competitive pace on them. Yeah, it, it was
1: a bit odd. Um, and like you say, you'd have thought that's where teams would learn from the fact that no one really made those softs work um and obviously no one ran the soft in a middle stint they all tried to avoid that but um if we just look at like the race trace, there were four drivers that went to the soft for the final stint and I feel like there's enough knowledge and data from other teams and what they were doing at that point to say don't do that um the flip side is with Ocon his pace was so good on the medium uh, and that stint was so impressive that at one point, I wondered if he was going to stop at all. I think, you know, you just thought he'd just keep going, keep going, see if anything crazy happened. And if he was quick enough, come in and stop with like two laps to go um, and see if your first stint actually would extend, you know, if that was going to be the quickest way. But there's always a risk there with wear. Um, but yeah, he was then kind of cornered. It was so late in the race to go on the hard the amount of that final stint that would have been lost to warm up would have been maybe too much. So I think he he almost got backed into a corner by going so long, Um, but he had to because he was quick enough. He had clear air. It did get him into the points. It eventually did get him ahead of his teammate. Um, But I, I think if he'd have stopped earlier, he would have lost a load of pace on the mediums that he still could have used. But that would have meant he could have gone to the hard and made that stint work a bit better. If he stopped later, then the mediums might have dropped off or you might have got something that actually disadvantaged you so I think it's that kind of was one that just fell into that's all they could do at that point after such a long stint. But uh, it was impressive for Mocon. He, he kept his nose clean and um, and picked up some solid points there. But as you say, he, he couldn't pull away from Ricardo at all. Daniel just stuck to his gearbox for the final stint, even though he was on much older tyres.
0: It was really a race of individual performances this Grand Prix. And that's kind of, even if we have a result at the front that is very familiar, the podium was extremely familiar <laughs> even. It was good to have that, I suppose, variety to see Uh, A result that wasn't necessarily forecast among the midfield, a result that was still very much up in the air as the race went on. And hopefully with two, let's say, new circuits coming up, we might get a little bit more of that. Maybe Formula 1 will learn that less practice is a good thing, I think. Chris, it was great to to have you on to talk about the Portuguese Grand Prix.
1: Thank you very much. I uh, enjoyed the race and I enjoyed this.
0: That was races. Chris Medland. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favourite podcast app, plus all of your social media channels. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. My name's Michael Aminato. You can look me up on Twitter, and I'll be back next week to review the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix from Imola.